All right, grab your Bible or your phone or whatever device you look at your Bible on while I share a message and open it to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. This month we're talking about a fresh focus of thanks. We're reading God's Word together in our uh, Bible reading, and hopefully you've got that. If you don't, you can grab one at the next step station on your way out, or you can go online at our website and check out the Bible reading. That's all, Every single day is a new verse about how to be thankful and reasons that we're thankful. My hope is that you're reading and studying and you're just getting a fresh focus of how to be thankful and what to thank the Lord for. Also, as an extra way of just being thankful in your heart, we wanted to set up something physical and demonstrable for us as a church. So um, out in the commons, you'll notice right as you leave the door, just right to your left on that far west wall, uh, we made a display for fresh focuses of thanks. So if you'd like to go to that wall, and there's papers right there on the table and pens, if you'd like, you can just go there and write a little thanks to the Lord or something you're thankful for and just click it on the screen, clip it up there. And uh, just a way to demonstratively say, hey, here's something I'm thankful for. Well, as we did a spotlight on World's Missions this morning, I'm hoping that you are reminded that God's heart is for all people. That God loves every single person in the world. He desires a relationship with them. He, he sees the assortment of people on planet Earth, and he loves each person. Now, I want to show you a picture really quick. This is a picture of what God sees. Here's another one. There's you. Hey, look, there you are. Now, here's what I want you to notice on this picture. I want you to notice what you don't see. There's no lines. There's no borders. There's no divisions. Those are just things that we make up. See, God doesn't see the world that way. And if you and I are going to be called to world missions and we're going to be called to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, then we have to start seeing the world and we have to start seeing people the way God does. And that is that they're no different than you and they're no different than me. And that Jesus Christ died for all people. In fact, when you think about people on the other side of the world, they're not really very different than you and I at all. They want the exact same things we want. They want to find love that will last a lifetime. They want a good job. They want to be safe. They want a nice home. They want food on their table every day. They want their kids to succeed in life. They want to have fun on their day off. Oh, okay, that's one thing that's different. They don't have days off. <laughs> but they want money in their savings. They want the same thing that we want while they're alive here on earth. And Jesus helps us with those things, and that's why it's so important for us to do this. Now, most of us do specific things to make sure that our future is secure, don't we? We save money for retirement. Maybe we buy a reliable car that we hope will last for a long time. Maybe you eat healthy or you work out so that your body stays healthy. In Revelation chapter 7, we're going to look at a vision that John sees about our future. This future is about the people that believe in Jesus. It's a future for those that call Jesus their Lord and Savior. It's for the church. It's for the people of God. And in this vision, we get a glimpse into why we want people to partner with the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. 
There's a moment in Revelation chapter 7 that reveals to us what God has for us. And it helps us see why you and I want to be givers of the kingdom to the ends of the earth. So look at it with me. I'm just going to read the second half. This is a moment in the Gospel of John's life when the Holy Spirit really opens up his mind and his heart and allows him to see things in the future. We would call it prophecy. And it's a moment where you and I get to see something very, very special about our future. In fact, this might be one of the the few moments in the book of Revelation that shows us something in particular that is very important for us. So look at it with me. Verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where do they come from? And I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd." He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. That's your future. This is the future for the people of God. And what's interesting is the purpose of this vision is to grant a glimpse of eternity, a glimpse of the future, to those who are in a very dark hour in the church. See, the church in the first century was in a very dark hour a very troubling time. They were being persecuted left and right. They were losing jobs and family relationships. Many were losing their lives as a result of serving Jesus Christ. And so John gets to see this vision. He gets a privilege to look beyond his time to the hour of ultimate triumph to help them live for Jesus today. And I believe the same is true for us. We get to see our future so that our today is better. Now, I want to focus on just two verses this morning, verses 9 and 10. Let me remind you what they say. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. And then this phrase, from every nation, tribe, people, and language. They're standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They're wearing white robes and they're holding palm branches in their hands and they're crying in a loud voice this theme song. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
Now, I noticed three things to be thankful for here in these two verses. The first one is to be thankful for God's grace to the nations. See, John sees people from every nation, from every tribe, from every language, and they're all gathered around the throne of Jesus. In other words, here's what we see. Everyone on earth is represented. There's representation that God's grace has touched every single people group on the planet, proving that the grace that flows from the cross desires for every single one of us to be in relationship with God and that God's grace is freely being given to everyone who wants it. The grace of God through Jesus Christ is not just for us as Americans, it's for all people, for all nations, people in the most remote jungle on earth and people in the most populated concrete jungle in our largest cities. Every single person on earth. Now in John's vision, there's this vast multitude of people. In fact, the lar- the, this crowd is so large that it says it can't be counted. Does that remind you of anything? When I read that verse, it reminded me of a promise that God made that he is now answering in Revelation chapter 7. When God started this whole business of salvation and he picked a family for his salvation to come through, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 5, he said to Abraham this. He took him outside and he said, look up at the sky and count the stars. And then this phrase, what? If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. No, he wasn't talking about physical offspring. He was talking about spiritual offspring. Spiritual offspring that would come as a result of Jesus Christ. His physical offspring was Jesus Christ, but his spiritual offspring is every single one of us that now says yes to Jesus Christ in our heart, believes in him, and lives for him daily. You and I are now the offspring of the faith of Abraham. That's why we call him the father of our faith. Now, the reason this is possible is because when we stand in heaven, we will be the recipients of God's grace. Someone once gave a great definition of grace, and it's this. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. That's grace. Getting something you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting something you deserve, but grace is getting something that you don't deserve. We don't deserve heaven, but we get it because God is gracious, because he's kind, and because his love extends to every generation. That's why the love of God is here for us to live in. See, throughout time, what we see in God's word is God's grace on display over and over and over and over again. This is God's grace. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever been to a really dark place outside before? Not a lot of light pollution and been able to look up in the sky on a night with no clouds and actually see how many stars are up there? I did it one time out in the desert. We, when I was a kid, I used, to, I used to camp out in the desert a lot with friends and we'd get as far as we could from Las Vegas, which was really bad for light pollution. But it is interesting, if you can get to a place on the planet 
where you can actually look up in the sky on a really dark night. It's, there's so many stars, it's as if they're touching one another. It's amazing. It's the most spectacular thing. And I imagine that's what Abraham saw. And that's exactly what you and I will see. When you're standing in this moment before Jesus, you'll look to your left and there'll be people from every language, tribe, and tongue as far as you can see. Same the other direction. It's like when you're standing at the beach and it's sand as far as you can see that way and as far as you can see to your left. And what did God say? Your, your offspring will be like the sands on the seashore, like the stars in the sky. This is the moment in our future that we have to be thankful for God's grace. The second reason we can be thankful is for God's forgiveness to mankind. For his forgiveness. In John's vision, all of the people are wearing white robes. And these white robes are an example of the righteousness of Christ and of the forgiveness of Christ. Their robes are white because they symbolize the righteousness of Christ that is now covering them. That the forgiveness of God, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, the, the righteousness of Christ is now yours all the time, forever, for all of eternity. See, we are washed in the blood that Jesus shed on the cross for the forgiveness of our sin and our brokenness. This is what verse 14 says. That they have come out of the great tribulation, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now this is also a physical moment where we're actually wearing a white robe to symbolize uh, the righteousness of God, but it's also something, it's, it's also a work that happens inside of you. It's a spiritual work. The physical robe is just a, uh, to remind you of the spiritual work that's been done in your heart, in your mind, in your life, in your spirit, in the deepest parts of your soul where Jesus goes and forgives us. Those, those closets that we like to keep closed and not let God enter. When, when we let the Holy Spirit in and we let Jesus heal that area of our life, it becomes completely righteous. And so all of those areas of our life are forgiveness, are, are forgiven. And so this is symbolic language of what happens in our heart and in our spirit when we believe that we are a sinner and we let Jesus' blood forgive us completely. This blood that was shed on the, cloth, on the cross. Now, there's a spiritual washing that takes place. And this spiritual washing is because Christ removes all of our mistakes and failures. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So when you and I confess our sins and God says he forgives, he purifies us from all our unrighteousness, then it is ultimately understood that we are now righteous. We're now living in the righteousness of Christ. And so the white robes are an example of this most important moment in your life. One now and one later. This most important moment in your life when you said yes to Jesus, when you believed in Jesus as your Savior while you were here on earth, and you said yes to him. And then it's also a reminder of every choice that you make from the moment you say yes to Jesus until you go to heaven. 
See, every choice you make to honor the Holy Spirit instead of obeying your flesh or obeying the world around you is a moment where you are saying yes to the righteousness of Christ that is alive inside of you instead of the pleasure of the moment that our world creates and desires for you. And that the enemy of our soul would long for us to enter into so that we're walking in unrighteousness instead of the righteousness of Christ. Every single time you read a verse in the Bible and you say, huh, (laughs) never saw that before. I'm going to need to change something. (laughs) That ever happened to you? You read a verse and you're like, oh man, that's convicting. I'm doing that right now. I'm going to need to change that because I want to live in the righteousness of Christ. I want to believe in Jesus, my Savior, and I want to honor him with my life. I want to live for him. And so I notice what this verse is saying, and so uh, I I think I'm going to have to change that in my life. And so you stop and you pray, Holy Spirit, would you help me live a righteous life for Christ? See, every single day that we say yes to Jesus and obey God's word and live in the Spirit is a moment that looks towards our future as you wear a white robe of righteousness standing in front of Christ. See, we can all be thankful that Jesus' forgiveness is complete, that it's final, and that it's life-changing. See, there will be a day when the forgiven and the righteous will stand together in heaven and give glory to our Savior that is referred to three times in this chapter as the Lamb. The last thing we have to be thankful for is Jesus, the Lamb. Now, this is an interesting thing because um, when you and I think of, of victory, most often we think of something very strong, we think of something very powerful, and we think of something or someone or a figure that could destroy everything and everyone, right? So therefore, it would make total sense that the largest symbol of the most powerful person in the world in Revelation would be a lamb. Isn't that what you think of? When you think of an animal, a creature in the created animal kingdom that devours everything else, isn't that exactly what you think of? The scary lamb, the victorious, powerful, almighty lamb. Exactly. See, here's what's interesting about Revelation that you'll notice over and over again. There are many forms that Jesus will take, but the largest one, the most popular one, is the lamb. And here's why. Because throughout the book of Revelation, there is one reoccurring theme. And it's this, that victory happens through sacrifice. Now this is completely foreign to American thinking. This does not compute with us. None of us in this room thinks that we're going to win anything by saying what? I give up. I give up. I surrender. I'll sacrifice. That just doesn't compute, does it? 
But that's the biblical way. That's the way of Jesus. He's sitting on a throne over everything. And he says what? For mankind, I'll give up. I'll surrender. Because true victory will happen through sacrifice. It'll happen through grace and mercy and peace and love, kindness and joy, self-control and kindness. These are the things that make up our lives as Christians. This is the way of Jesus. And so what you see in this chapter over and over again, three times that we are worshiping the Lamb. Because Jesus is the Lamb that was sacrificed for your brokenness and mine. And so all praises do Him because of His great sacrifice on the cross. So throughout the book of Revelation, Jesus is referred to as the Lamb. We see Him in other forms as well, but the most popular one is the Lamb. We also see in Revelation that those the humans that are honored the most in the book of Revelation are those that chose to sacrifice their lives for Jesus in this life. And those that chose to sacrifice to be a martyr, to give up their life, to go through torture and, and maiming and everything you could possibly imagine in the book of Revelation, they will receive great victory in heaven because of sacrifice. Now, the lamb in it is, is an Old Testament reference as well. It finds its perfect fulfillment on the cross, but it's an Old Testament idea that finds its fruition and its completion on the cross and in the forgiveness of our lives. In the Old Testament, the lamb was extremely significant. Let me remind you of two ways. The first one was during the last plague in Egypt. Do you recall the last plague in Egypt where God said, I'm going to send the death angel over the nation of Egypt. And those who have sacrificed a lamb and taken the blood of that lamb and put it on their doorpost will be safe from the death angel. And he will pass over their house and the firstborn in their home will not pass away. Those who do not sacrifice the lamb will lose the firstborn in their home. So this is the first moment where the sacrifice of a lamb becomes incredibly important because the sacrifice of a lamb made sure that death passed over your family. The second one is when the nation of Israel is in the desert and Moses is now giving them the law and he's telling them the requirements for the forgiveness of sin and the forgiveness of your guilt before God. And he establishes a law. God establishes a law in Leviticus and Numbers. And it's a very simple law. That when you bring a lamb that is spotless, has no broken bones, and is a, a perfect lamb, and you sacrifice that lamb with the priest and you put that blood, the blood of that lamb on the altar, it will forgive your sin. These are the two most rememberable and common moments and ideas of the lamb in the Old Testament. 
So the sacrifice of the lamb spared them from death in Egypt and continued the forgiveness of their sin until the true lamb came, Jesus. And when Jesus, the lamb of the world, died on the cross for you and I, he became the last lamb sacrificed. Now the only thing that you have to do is believe in Jesus Christ, believe in his death, believe in his resurrection, and the forgiveness and the the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus on the cross will forgive our brokenness, our sin, and our guilt. Now the individuals in John's vision are standing before the Lamb, and they're also holding palm branches. The palm branches are that good, uh, appropriate scene of festive joy. You'll remember that when Jesus rode into Jerusalem the week before his death on the cross, that they, they waved palm branches in festive joy and shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And here's what's interesting. We now see a similar moment of joy for Jesus But there's a new song. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is the song that we will sing for a long time. See, what God was communicating was something very important through this vision in Revelation. He's communicating that your Savior is Jesus, the Lamb. And because He is the Lamb... He's taking care of your future. And because he is taking care of your future, this is the key, right, of Revelation, because God's taking care of your future, don't get stressed about today. Don't get worried about tomorrow. Don't be anxious about anything in your life because Jesus has taken care of your future. I want you to see something. I want you to see that there will be this moment where you will stand before Christ in a righteous white robe and there will be so many people with you that have made the same decision and because because that's your future, know that today you're okay. Say, well, Pastor Mark, what what if they want to kill me for being a Christian? Then you go straight to heaven. You go straight to heaven where there's no more tears, no more crying, no more death, no more pain, where right is right and wrong is wrong, not mixed around like it is now. Everything's correct. Jesus is king. See, the world at this time and probably in our future as well, and as Craig shared this morning, is happening all over the world right now for people in Jesus' name. And it might start happening for us right here in the United States. That the world is going to treat us in horrible ways because we believe in Jesus. But don't be afraid. Because you know your future. Don't be afraid of today. Because you know tomorrow. And you know the one who holds tomorrow. There's so much for us to be thankful for as believers in Jesus. This vision of our future gathered around the throne gives us much to be thankful for. We're thankful for God's grace to the nations. We're thankful for God's forgiveness to mankind. And we're thankful for Jesus, the Lamb. Let me close with this. 
If your favorite band or artist is coming to Spokane six months from now and you hear about it, are you going to go online and buy a ticket? Sure you are. Because you want to be there. You want to be there in that moment when your favorite artist sings at the arena. So you're like, yeah, I'm in. I'm buying a ticket. Can I tell you something? Revelation 7 will be the greatest concert you have ever heard of. It will be the loudest concert. It will be the most spectacular moment in human history. And trust me, you want to be there. You want to be in this moment. Now here's the best part about being in this moment. You don't have to buy a ticket. The ticket's free. It's freely given because of the cross. And it can be freely received when you simply say, I give up. I want victory in Christ in me. And so I surrender my life to Jesus Christ. And I choose to live differently according to his word. Would you pray with me? There may be some of you in this room right now that you're not sure. You're just not, you're not quite sure if you're going to be in that moment in heaven, in Revelation 7. And I would be remiss if I did not ask you for an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And so if you would like to believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you'd like to believe that He died on a cross for you, that he rose again, and that the Holy Spirit can come to live in you. You want to believe that your your brokenness is ruling your life right now. And you need the righteousness of Christ and the perfection of God's word to begin to move in you. that's where you're at this morning and you say I I want to be in that moment in Revelation 7. I don't want to be on the wrong side. I want to serve Jesus all the days of my life and I want to live for him. I'm just going to let you say give a physical sign to Jesus that that's where you're at. That you want to say yes to Jesus. You want to live for him and believe in him and serve him. So I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand right where you sit if you want to believe in Jesus Christ. That physical sign just says what's going on in you spiritually. It says that that's who I want to be. I want to be someone that lives for Jesus. And I want to believe in him all the days of my life. If I miss someone, would you just raise your hand real high? All right, would you stand with me and let's pray. Jesus, we give you thanks this morning that we have a future 
And that future is really cool. That future includes a moment where we're all together with people of all different races and tribes and languages, all gathered around the throne. So Lord, I I pray that you would help us to start doing a lot with a lot. You would help us to give. You would help us to go. And you would help us to be people that would say, I see this future. And I want so many more people to be with us in heaven. And so, Lord, do whatever you want with us. If you want to change some some stuff in us so that we get on board with your mission, we pray that you would do it. If there's one, something that we need to change up financially so that we get on board with your mission, help us to do that. Lord, whatever it takes, help us to get on board with what you're doing. And Lord, most importantly, give us a fire for this. Give us courage. Help us not to be afraid of what the world is saying or doing, but to just say yes to Jesus wholeheartedly. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to stand for you. I'm going to believe in you. And nothing's going to stop me from doing that. We give you thanks and praise, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks, everyone. It was great to see you. Always remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Have a great week. Sometimes on this journey, I get lost in my mistakes.